You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge Knives. Now, Outdoor Edge has a large range of fixed and replaceable blade knives and game cleaning kits. Now, imagine this. You just shot a deer in the backcountry or an elk or whatever, and it's time to break it down right? It's hot. You're a long way from the truck. So time is a factor and you got to get the meat back to the truck. So there's no waste. Your blade becomes dull. So instead of having to stop and sharpen the blade, all you do is you take your outdoor edge knife, you push a button on the handle, the blade pops out, you put a new blade back in and you're back to work. You get back to the truck, there's no wasted meat, everybody wins. Now, if you want to find out more information about Outdoor Edge and their complete line of knives and game cleaning kits, all you have to do is go to OutdoorEdge.com and when you check out or you decide you want to purchase a knife, enter the discount code NATION30 and you're going to save 30% off of your purchase. That's NATION30 and that's OutdoorEdge.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back. Welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast this week. This is your host, Matt Dye, and we have got a fantastic podcast coming to you guys really in a kind of a a follow-up podcast from the other podcast that dropped this week. So we released two, and if this is the first one you've chosen to listen to, be sure to go and listen to the other one to kind of get the full picture of the significance of uh, and importance of what it is we're talking about this week um, on this podcast specifically. So there is a lot, a lot of talk about co-ops and has been for many years. Many other great um, organizations have put together information about co-ops and what they do, the significance that they have for wildlife. And there's been a lot of states in either hunting regions uh, of the hunting community who have latched on to wildlife co-ops. But there's many that have not, and there's many that have not taken those next steps to implement um, wildlife cooperatives. And and I think it's, it's just really foolish that we haven't done this because there's so many people... Who I want the same thing. It's like, guys, we're we're all fighting and working hard to to accomplish the same thing. Let's work 
with everybody. And we know that through research, the result is incredible. So this week, what we're going to be doing is taking um, basically two interviews. So Adam and Chad are going to be talking about uh, kind of the, the Prairie Hollow property and what's kind of happening there. Um, some thoughts about it, thoughts about the neighboring uh, situation. Um, obviously, that is located in south central Missouri, a little bit farther south than the conversation that um, I'm going to be having here in just a few minutes with Seth Harker. Seth Harker has been leasing ground um, for, for many years now, has worked very hard. So you're going to essentially get a, a, a picture um, from, from two different situations, roughly the same region, one that has kind of pulled together um, and, and been managing long-term situation and, and larger pieces of ground with, with a, a neighborhood um, that is relatively on board with um, great practices for overall uh, populations, but overall herd health and allowing simply younger deer to walk. Whereas the other situation is kind of a startup, a little bit newer of, of that cooperative mindset in South Central Missouri. So you're going to get both sides and you're going to hear um, then what the next steps are. How do you take it from, from both situations and build it and grow it and continue to improve and work with your neighbors? The neighborhood effect for managing wildlife is incredible. And I think that we all too often worry about what it is that we can control within our boundaries of the property that we manage, own, lease, whatever, but just simply said, wildlife, they don't know property boundaries. Quite frankly, they don't care. What they care about is persisting in and on great habitat, landscapes that are managed, manipulated to be improved, habitat for those species. So we hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. We hope honestly that it fuels you to get started. And then listening to the other podcasts that dropped this week, you will be able to know what to do to take the next steps, where to go, how to get help, work with the National Wildlife Co-op um, Association and, and get started doing that. So here's kind of, again, Two different scenarios, two different directions, and starting points, let's say, for both of them. Um, but first, before we jump into the actual content this week, got to give a shout out to Niangua Coffee. Niangua Coffee is run by Adam and my good friend Nathaniel Maddox and his wife, and they are and have been fantastic to Land Legacy um, from the very start of of, uh, of Land Legacy. So, um, in working with them, we're trying to get as many people in front of Niangua Coffee as possible. So, do us a favor. Number one, go ahead and subscribe to Niangua Coffee. Start out with um, you know some of their their coffee blends. Try them. And then hopefully you'll enjoy the product, subscribe, and become uh, a monthly renewal service for your coffee. Obviously, it's very outdoor branded, um, very creative, artistic, and quite frankly, just good people. And that's what we like. That's what we love about um, Nathaniel and his wife. And um, they're just fantastic people. So 
head on over to Niangua Coffee. Check them out. Hopefully you enjoy some of their products. But now, let's jump into the meat of the podcast. What's going on, Seth? Are you there? I am here loud and clear. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Man, it's it's late July. I don't know if you figured that out now or or not, if you've just been too busy rocking and rolling at work, but um it's almost August first and we're about to be into deer season, man. You ready? We are, Lord willing, we're gonna be at it hard and uh Trace and I were at the bow shops uh last week kinda doing some fine tuning, paper tuning. Uh he grows like a weed, so we've gotta always adjust his bow and do this and that and uh got to keep up on that so yep we are getting things tuned in and dialed in and ready man i love it i love it i bet i know last year he was working and and took the um compound out several times i had some great hunts but um that growth probably within a year has really propelled him and gotten him just in let's say killing shape with the compound how how pumped is he oh he's pumped he put on two inches on his draw weight Wow. Uh, 50 pounds is really easy for him to pull, which you've yep. got that that stoke completely bottomed out. Yep. And uh, I may order 60-pound limbs. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. bad thing is, is his draw length um, is getting ready to – he's going to bridge into a, needing another bow. He's maxed his draw length out on that sure. bow. Sure. So. Yeah, yeah. I may hold off on the 60-pound limbs, and we'll just upgrade him next year. Right, because that so. could come as fast as that kid grows – you know, that could come in two months. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, my wife my wife thinks buying clothes for growing children are expensive. I told her she needs to start uh, funding the bows. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> That's funny. Well, man, it's, um, it is definitely that exciting time frame uh, as preparations for fall, food plots, stands, cameras, they're all getting out and set. Um, and, and the, let's just say the, the pump is being primed and I know you've shared some pictures of some really good deer. Um, and just not only just a couple just really nice deer, but just a lot of deer, a like a, right. a lot of anything from 120 to 140 inches. I mean, we're talking like a lot of deer between... <laughs> To, to essentially two farms, and and um, that's essentially what we want to lead in today with is that's not a product of one year. That's not a product of really good food plots. That's not a product of some some TSI, the edge feathering, some prescribed fire over the course of you you know a couple of years. This is this is the development. Let's say, and I would. I'm going to say in a micro view of let's the culture or neighborhood that you're in. And oh yeah, I want you to talk on that today because we just on the other podcast mentioned co-ops and the importance of them and, and the starting up of, a, of an organization to collect data from them and have a unified voice of neighbors working together with neighbors to benefit wildlife. And you know this right. is just as much as anybody as you um, take inventory of, of deer almost religiously. Like you, you know that deer obviously cross 
property boundaries and uh, for the good and for the bad. You have probably over the course of many years, 14, 15 years of hunting these places, you have lost deer, good deer that you've been chasing, but you've also gained deer from other properties. And so you've seen that exchange back and forth of how wildlife move throughout a general neighborhood, how they move throughout properties. And um, not not only like just the over the course of a year, but over the course of many years. What's, what's really cool about the leases that you have is, is how they're kind of situated in a given neighborhood. They're not all touching, but you have been able to, again, really... Um, strategically placing trail cameras and knowing where how deer are moving on properties, you pick up the movements um, from one farm to another. And um, uh, all this to say, neighbors are really important. We talk habitat so much. And habitat on, oh, yeah. on a specific property is, I mean, you have control of that. You can't go and cut trees on everyone else's property, but you can cut them on your property, and that's super important. <laughs> but if you want to take things to the next level, and again, you are uh, a, a big proponent of this, it is working and communicating, opening dialogue up with neighbors. So I'll shut up and let you kind of take it from there uh, of maybe maybe the the history of some of the, the properties and then this progression of communication over the course of many years and now what that's allowed you and the neighborhood to be able to produce. Right. Yeah. Um, again, I'd like to say very fortunate to have, have been able to gain the knowledge from the properties that I've have uh, gotten to manage, gotten to hunt for all these years. I've, I've gained a ton of just knowledge from trail cameras and the habitat improvements we've done, um, multiple neighbors. Um, and if I didn't have that experience with those properties, I can tell you that I, I would I would not be um, as knowledgeable as what I am because it was just the experience. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying I'm just the deer wizard or whatever like that, but I've gained experience through just the things that we have experienced through these years. And I didn't know anything um, when we first started this journey on these particular farms. But um, it's even given me knowledge um, on if I were to purchase a farm. Mm, good point. Um, yeah. What I've learned from these particular farms, the way they move, the neighbors that I've got to uh, have contact with. And I do want to say this before I forget to say it, where we traditionally kill the biggest deer, and I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but Mm -hmm. where we traditionally kill the biggest deer, those neighbors practice closer to what we practice than any other neighbor that we have. And when I say practice, I mean selective harvest on mature deer. Yeah, yeah. Um, They stray a little bit, and they didn't at first. Um, in fact, they, I, we, I was a laugh. Oh, you can't manage deer in this country. You can't grow big deer in this country. When the pine plantations went in, you can't, you're not in Alabama. You can't grow pines down in here. <laughs> uh, I mean, people laugh. You heard it all, right? Um, right. Um, and now, and, and you know, sometimes we would scratch our heads. Well, maybe we can't. And there again, we just tried it. And that's how we gained the knowledge was through trying it. We're not 
you know that that's the only way we did but mm-hmm. with that being said i think it's real important to note that that the biggest deer traditionally that i'm gonna have pictures of that we're gonna have to hunt are on my biggest neighbors that practice close to the way we practice on select harvest sure. um and that's all about letting them get older um and things like that um and they also really help with the doe management they understand um the does as you well know, the farm on the north side of the road, just excellent habitat. Um, even the neighboring properties are pretty good habitat, but they're more inclined. We do have a meat hunter. Again, I have no problems with a meat hunter yeah. um, at all. That's their preference. Um, but, you know, they're typically killing the smaller bucks, Um and things like that over the does sure. and not really helping with the doe management. This farm on the south, they even uh, tribute to our doe management. So mm-hmm. um, I definitely see a benefit with what we're doing over there, and it's where the best hunting is. Um, and I'm a firm believer that if the neighbors changed, um, our hunting would not be near as as good as what it is. Sure. Um, it's On that same token... It could change with a few neighbors on some of the other uh, corners of the properties, and and it would be better. Mm-hmm. Um, it could swing both ways, right? Right. So it's kind of that's kind of the way it is, and you know it's uh, you know it's always interesting just to see. And there again, this is just stuff that I've gathered over the last fourteen, fifteen years, and watched and noticed. And mm-hmm. um, I would have never have thought that if today I didn't, you know. You were quizzing me on that, and sure. we were having a conversation, and, you know, I was like, hey, yeah, that's, I'm thinking about all the deer that we've harvested. You know what? That's where we harvest our bigger deer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, and, and talking about that property more on the north side, um, you know, pre-show, we were we were just discussing how many deer there are on that property. Oh, my goodness. And it's just filthy with deer. Um, to an extent where, yeah, I mean, there, it's just like, there's a bunch, a bunch of mouths. Um, but you know, let's just say that is where, um, you know, a, a neighbor who, who is harvesting some deer that, you know, to other neighbors, to yourself that you would routinely pass. Well, here, here is the good thing. When you have a higher deer population, you can afford to lose a couple. Yeah, sure. Maybe they're not of the exact same caliber that you're wanting to be killed out, but you have a higher base population that then will still get to the next age class. But if you are managing right. a really, really low populations and you lose a couple, it, it just dings you harder. It's just percentage based of the population. So I'm not sitting here saying, you know, oh, shoot for really high deer populations. It's not what we're saying. But based on the general neighborhood, you do during deer season house and hold a lot of the de- the deer um and so you know if you lose a couple eh, it doesn't hurt you nearly as bad as it does if you have much lower populations so right uh, over over it, the course of oh go ahead go ahead oh i was just gonna say and we do lose i mean obviously you're gonna lose more where there are more but uh we do lose several mm-hmm good bucks over the year what i consider good bucks sure sometimes they just vanish and sometimes i find them dead or whatever but yeah you're right we do lose them and it doesn't hurt as bad because we go through inventory and 
We're like, oh, okay, we know this deer. We've known him for a while. We're, we're going to start chasing him. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of walk walk us through that, like, if you will, mental process. And, and the reason I want to hit on it is because you know how it's like you, ever, everyone's seen it, heard it. Maybe they're guilty of saying it. But essentially it's, oh, my neighbor shot that one. Dadgummit, I was chasing him. Or I would have really liked to seen it go another year. Like, walk us through that uh, mental game, if you will, of finding one that was either dead or recovered or, or seeing a neighbor harvest one um, that that may potentially, that you would have passed. Because kn- well, kn- knowing knowing that there's still a lot more where that came from, let's say. Right. Well, for me, I learned a long time ago that uh, friendships are way more important than killing deer. And that's the A number one first thing. Great. Um, And if if you keep that mindset, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. You can let your neighbor know that, hey, that was a three-year-old and you should. And we were not going to shoot him. No offense, but congratulations. You know, we weren't going to shoot that deer. Um, You elected to. That's okay. Um, you kind of have to diplomatically go about it. But the A number one thing is is to try to stay good with your neighbors. I talk to so many people who are against their neighbors, and they do just what you just said. Well, if I don't shoot it, the neighbor was. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my approach to that is, is you may have shot it, but guess what? I wasn't. Yeah. And I think that approach makes them think the next time that, hey, Seth wasn't going to shoot that deer. Um, do, do, do I you know, need maybe, to? Maybe I shouldn't. Sure. And then if they think that the next neighbor, and, and that's that's kind of the, needs to be the co-op mindset. So I think it's being transparent yeah. um, with your neighbors, and, and that's what you have to do. Congratulate them that they shot it, but let them know that you weren't. And we had a big, giant three-year-old. I mean, if there ever last year that was harvested, mm-hmm. and he was a day walker like three-year-olds are, knew he was dead before he ever was dead, had that feeling. Uh, which is another thing. I can almost take you the deer right now um, from trail camera pictures. I would almost bet a guy that we could do this and I could be take, I could be 70% successful. And I'm just pulling that number out of my rear end. (laughs) I could be 70% successful that I can put an X on the three-year-old's that are going to die just from the mm-hmm. historic information of trail camera photos and how they kind of monitor and how I've kind of witnessed deer's personalities in the mm-hmm. past. General I can behavior. take the ones and put an X that I know that these neighbors that we're talking about, they're going to whack them. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Just from learning that, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but keeping good neighbors, um, I'm not going to cry about it, but I knew that deer was dead um, before he ever started. And this was like a 140-inch, 10.3-year-old, mm-hmm. beautiful deer, beautiful beams, beautiful tines, beautiful brows. This deer was really going to make a jump this year. Um, he would have been something this next this year, 2020, that uh, he would have been hard for anybody to pass in our neck of the woods. Sure, sure. Uh, no doubt. But he got whacked, and I put a little friendly, you've seen it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Facebook post out, and... You talk about, I mean, you ought to go back and look at it. You talk about the comments, 
and we did it diplomatically. We didn't do it as a shaming the person, um, uh, although it did get a little bit heated, and they may have considered that way. You know, knowing I, knowing your personality, I, I don't I don't know if I've ever heard you shame anybody else's harvest whatsoever. I I think that there is a fine line, and oftentimes when you're when you're communicating openly, when you're when you put yourself, let's say, in a vulnerable vulnerable position to be transparent and diplomatic, there's always going to be people out there who may perceive it in a different way, and. Right. I, I think that just good intentions, um, you know, at, at some point are going to be rewarded. And, and I, I, I know you called me, I believe it was, after you had made the post. And you're like, please go read this and, and just tell me if, if I worded it badly because that wasn't your intention at all. And uh, certainly read through the post. And, and no, <laughs> not in any way, shape, or form was it a... Uh, a shameful or derogatory post at all. It was generally speaking of a, Hey guys, this is, this is what our neighborhood can produce. Um, at three and a half, like we have this ability, but without that communication, open line uh, of, of sharing that and your neighbors wouldn't know, like they, they just simply right. wouldn't know. You can't experience growth in a co-op and growth with a neighbor if you don't have dialogue it's just it's not going right. to happen yeah. well what was funny about that is is um after this you know and, and you know kind of i don't know i kind of tried to just stay diplomatic about it mm-hmm. now they consult with me um mm. pretty good friends or more vocal with each other mm-hmm. before I was just with this particular neighbor and they had just moved in. They hadn't played, they, you know, they hadn't been neighbors for very long. That sure. was a starter farm and they, they had moved in, but now they're more, they're figuring out that, Hey, that's not here to, um, you know, make things hard on us. Yeah. Uh, Jealousy is a stinky perfume. And when you, I mean, right. we've been successful. Um, the good Lord has given us the resources to be successful, mm-hmm. um, and we've been successful, and we kill big deer every year, not just every other year. We kill 140 plus to 150. Sometimes we'll touch 160 on a regular yearly basis in southern Missouri every year. Never changes. We do it every year. Which um, a lot of people don't know. So that the other neighbors look like Seth kills all the big ones when I'm sitting there going through trail camera inventory, and I'm like, there's enough big, nice deer in here for every neighbor on every corner to kill a nice <laughs> one. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, but they choose, some of them did, not so much anymore, did choose to kill those big, giant three-year-olds. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And you know what? You know what? It doesn't always have to be the guy who kills the deer. Sure. Now, if I would have passed that deer for two years and that deer grew into a Boone and Crockett and one of the neighbors killed it, I would feel like I had a part um, in that. And you know yeah. what? I'd like to go go put my hands on the antlers and measure it and yeah. shake the old boy's hand, hand who killed it. I've caught, killed a lot of big, nice deer. And, um, you know, it's not just about me killing big deer. It's about the neighbors, the co-op. That's what it's about. Absolutely. No, that's a good point. And, and again, going back to just that general population, when you have a sustainable or a growing population of deer, because, you know, 
the age structure is maturing throughout a neighborhood after many years of, of maybe no communication and now now it's getting to that to that um, time frame you've got ample opportunities within a given neighborhood for many, many people to be extremely successful. And when you talk about the neighborhood that you're hunting in, you know, just, just last year, I mean, the, the number of deer bucks that were killed, um, 140 plus either on you or on um, what I would say your neighborhood. So within, you know, a couple square miles of neighboring properties. I mean, we're talking a lot. We're, this isn't just yeah. like one or two occasionally. We're we're talking like five and six easy. Um, I mean, actually, yeah. it's five oh, and six yeah. beyond what what you harvested. And so, you know, th- this is this isn't a fly by night. Oh, it just randomly one one got old kind of thing. That this is the product of fourteen years of maturing a, a population, then maturing the age classes and getting neighbors on board. And now like it's hard to find people who aren't satisfied, let's say in your, in your neck of the woods with hunting every fall. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, we, for South Missouri, I mean, we are, if there ever was a golden triangle of killing nice deer. Now, there's a lot bigger deer, I think, little bigger deer islands mm-hmm. where bigger deer get killed. But I think as far as numbers of just really solid deer, I mean, we've got to be up there in, uh, up there in the high bracket, I would think, because we just uh, yeah. have a lot of really nice, nice deer. There's, there's no doubt about it. And, um, again, that's a product of a, of a lot of people working together and coming together. Um, and, and people of, of different backgrounds, different property sizes, you got farmers, you got business owners, you got long-term residents. This is not just a community of, of, um, just deer hunters. Now, yeah, they, they love it and enjoy the sport, but you've got some people who are hardcore habitat managers, hardcore food plotters. And then you got some people who only go out during the opening weekend of rifle season. But guess what? There's room for all of that in a given neighborhood. And that's what that's the beauty of working together um, and, and watching, let's just say, this, this product kind of mature over time. Right. And I think it is too important, important to uh, um, point out that, I mean, we are the, we are the acreage we hold all the acreage primarily mm-hmm. that are being managed. I right. mean, as far as really intensely and, and stuff like that. Right. Um, we do hold that. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything kind of roots out from us, but I'll tell you from my standpoint, looking at that, they could really, and have really make it hard on us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we ran trail cameras 14 years ago and, you know, finding the majority of our deer were three-year-olds. Right. Um, I've got some now that I know are seven-year-olds, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is which is pretty phenomenal. But, you know, we are that core area, oh, without um, doubt. per se. Mm-hmm. But us being the core allowed us to show these guys that, hey, you know, and they were mad at first. Um, and they sat on the fence line. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were grudge. There was some grudge shooting going on. Um, <laughs> yeah. He kills all the big deer. We're going to shoot him. We're going to shoot whatever. And they did. Yeah. I mean, there was some grudge killing is what I sure, call it. Sure, sure. Um, well, then after that, you know, again, being transparent, speaking with them, talking with them, um, they learned that we can make it better for all. So yeah. me being that primary or this property being the primary root of that, now those roots have just explored, if you will, mm. over into other neighboring properties. And if a guy could really just keep that going, there's always that bad egg in there somewhere. But for the most part, you're always going to have better deer to shoot. Um, and that farm just proved it. I mean, it, it did. It just proved it. And it was consistent base. I mean, every year, consistently mm-hmm. harvesting mature deer every year when the neighbors weren't proved it. And I think that what what you said and and we're just open and honest about was that hey this didn't get started off on the brightest lightest foot i mean there was opposition to the co-op mindset there was there was um you know pro- people probably thought that you were um from their perspective being selfish and and just you know he didn't deserve this and that but you know not every co-op oh, yeah. situation or every every neighbor that you talk to is going to greet you with, let's just say, the most open, welcoming arms. And I, and I think that that's like people need to hear that because that doesn't mean that either you stop doing what you're doing or that you shut off that line of communication. You remain diligent and consistent with your practices, then it will pay off. And like you, like you said, just just last year, at the end of last year, so January time frame, you made that one Facebook post in the matter of six months. Now we're looking at a great friendship, um, and, and they're leaning on you for additional advice. And so just in the matter of six months, that relationship has matured and gone into something else. So maybe maybe something doesn't get started off on the right foot, and you've always thought this of your neighbor and that this and that. But it goes to show you that you just open up more, it's probably going to come back and reward you. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it does. And, um, there again, the friendships, there are some neighbors and I'm sure some of them will listen. I've got so many, they'll never know who I'm talking about, but there are some neighbors that we've had that are royal pains in the butt for a lack of better terms. <laughs> they have been, um, yeah. they're not so bad anymore. Um, but it's just taking that relationship that hey you know what you can you can you can be a grudge shooter all you want but look at it five years later i'm still shooting all these big nice deer yeah okay you're gonna grudge shoot the deer we've talked about this in the past you're gonna grudge shoot the deer that potentially was going to historically use your farm not mine He's over there on you now. Historically, they'll, you know, historically, those bucks, I've chased yep. them long enough. They kind of start getting in a certain acreage they want. There are some big mature bucks that I have that primarily I know, like I said, I can almost put X's on them. They're primarily going to stay in the core, and I know for whatever reason, mm-hmm. they elude hunters. There are some bucks I know that are going to get over on the neighbors quite a bit. They spend a lot of time. I can put an X on them. I know who they are. You want to grudge shoot them, that's okay, but you just grudge shot your next 150. Sorry, I wasn't going to shoot him, but you grudge shot him. These big deer that I'm putting the time into, 
and then I'm babying, and then I'm pampering. I'm doing that from historic information that I've gathered, knowing that typically the deer that run in this particular area from trail camera surveys typically elude hunters. I know that sounds crazy, but it's just a pattern that we've developed. doesn't always work, but it works for a lot of the time that these deer are going to make it. Right, right, Um, right. So, I mean, I... You know, people don't think that way, but we've gathered enough information over the years that I know where this particular bachelor group is going to bed and this one's going to go. And even um, to a sense, and I know this sounds crazy too, but in a sense, I can pattern some deer and have during the rut. Yeah. And it's only because of historic evidence. Sure. I know where they shift to. I know the does that they're going to use. With that being said, some of them completely disappear. Right. I know they've shifted just a little bit off, and then they come back in the fall for whatever reason. But there are a handful of them that we can pattern and that we know. Those are the deer that I have babied um, in years past and actually developed into nice deer, E.T. being one of those deer. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember you chasing him just a couple years ago. Um, Sub-Zero being one of those deer. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got uh, Crawdad this year being one of those deer. Sure. Um you know, we knew that these deer or had a good percentage chance to make it and to live. I also know the deer. Um, it was funny. A, a, uh, the girl's in college now. Beautiful pinpoint. He was 130, three-year-old. And I knew the deer was dead. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> this deer's dead. No big deal. It was the biggest deer she killed. Yeah. I was happy for her, called and congratulated it, her with it. But I knew the deer was dead. It's not a deer that I even put a lot of stock into because I knew he was going to hop the fence. I knew he was going to get shot in rifle season. That happened with another 12-point. I mean, I can go on and on and on about deer that we predicted were going to die. Mm -hmm. If those neighbors were on board more so and and as intense as what we are, here's what probably would happen. That 10-point that this young girl killed would have been a 4-year-old, 140-inch deer. More than likely, Seth wouldn't have even been after him. If he was, he probably wouldn't have killed him. And during the rut, during rifle season, he probably would have jumped through the same power line clearing and got capped and been a nice, beautiful giant for her to harvest. Sure, sure, yeah. More than likely. And I know that sounds, I know people are sitting there listening and they're like, dude, this guy is nuts. He can't (laughs) uh, pattern deer like that, but... You can when you have the amount of property that we have, um, and you've done it on the same history repeats itself. It just does. Well, there, there's, there's and a as lot Matt of... knows, we I never leave the field, and I never hardly quit running trail cameras. When those bucks have nubs, I'm getting pictures of them. I don't oh, even yeah. know what they're going to be. It may be a big forked horn, but we're photoing them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but but it 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 just goes to the consistency of of. Um you know, managing and, and watching watching deer mature over the course of certain years. Um, they they definitely, definitely have their um, traits about them and, and the way that they move across the landscape from an individual standpoint. So, Seth, what would you say to someone who is either buying a new property, has has some lofty goals for the neighborhood, or who has owned a property for a long time and they are they haven't ever reached out to the neighbors for fear of um you know not knowing if their neighbors are going to be on board or whatever it is what would you say to them for the initial conversation 
starter? What What do you say? Typically, and this is how I start it, and I think this speaks volumes. Um, typically, I'll just start with small talk, but how I really break the ice with them, I think, is I say, hey, if you guys ever, them being deer hunters, I say, hey, if you guys ever uh, shoot a nice deer or whatever, even a doe or whatever, and if it ever gets onto my property and you guys need help tracking it or anything like that, you just holler at me, and that typically breaks the ice into, hey, this guy's not too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously doesn't want me hunting on a spent line and shooting over there, but you know what? He's willing to work with me. Um, I have had a neighbor recently passed away, and I'll tell you this, if the deer jumped over on his fence, you either went into the cover of darkness and hope you didn't get your head blown <sighs> off, or you just chalked it up as a loss, one of the two. Oof. Yeah, and you don't, you don't want to be that neighbor. Yeah, you don't want to be that neighbor, and I think kind of throwing that out there, that's just my personal um, thing that I do. Yeah. Um, another deer hunter to another deer hunter, hey, if you need help, uh, I'm here to help. Here's my phone number. Hey, if a deer you hit a deer with your bow or even your rifle or whatever, and, hey, he gets over there, here's my number, Yeah, call me, I'll help you look for it, I'll help you try it. And I've actually done that for neighbors. Sure, sure. Um, in fact, uh, I helped one relentlessly try to track a buck um, and found it two weeks later in the creek. And you know what? We, we uh, retrieved it out of there, and uh, he actually came and got it. Wow. Um, That's awesome. So that, that really sets a tone yeah. If you will, hey, this guy's not just a a, a joker. Sure, you know? uh, it's a tone of cooperation that that will that will get the ball rolling in that direction. Right. Awesome. So that's just kind of been my little trick with with the neighbors and and things like that. Sure. Well, you you've helped me out this year. Um, you are you're allowing me to um, lease one of the properties that is kind of a. Uh, a little off from from the your two main places and i'm excited to be able to do that so you're helping me oh, yeah. get into the neighborhood so i i certainly appreciate that and are looking forward to um to the hunts this fall that we'll be able to share because um no just 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 like here's a perfect example i don't know a week and a half ago just went and put out um cutting link cameras on the farm itself Two days later, I look at the pictures, 6 o'clock in the morning, boom, here's the deer, great deer, big eight-pointer. Pretty sure I knew it was the deer that you had seen and had history on, and I think your wife had almost shot a couple years ago. But sent sent you the picture. You said, yep, that's Colonel. This is him. He'll be there all season. He's killable, this and that. I think he's six or seven. Like, that's the kind of information sharing though potential that everyone has when when they are just transparent and and, and one i just appreciated it because now <laughs> i've got i not only have you know what's happening with this deer right now but i have access to the the several years since he was trackable three four five six years or not years but those those years of his age that now i have access to that history too through you because yeah. You allow this to happen. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, just opening up those those doors and that communication is so big. It's so it's so helpful. Um and I will be using it to my advantage. So um 
No, and I, I was... hope we get to ground check that deer, and oh, I think yeah. you will. He said he's hitting that age where, mm-hmm. and another thing people may think we're crazy, but uh, he's hitting that age to where their home range really shrinks. shrinks. My prediction is, and we can have another follow up podcast. My prediction is that deer is going to live on that farm. He's going to rut on that farm, and you're going to have encounters with him, is my prediction. Well, um, I I hope your predictions are correct, because we're looking at a very, <laughs> a very mature deer, and um, one with, a obviously, just a, a mature body. He's a big, big frame deer, and uh, antlers, deer. antler-wise as well, is... Um, impressive for an eight pointer. So, um, I'm tickled just to have that, uh, that, that, the access and then that information too. Um, because you, you, you know, it's just more advantageous to be able to go and pick up the phone and work with people. We had, we had, um, I'm sure Adam and Chad will be talking about this and in their segment too. Um, a listener reach out, and and just turns out they just they're a couple miles away the crow flies if that they hunt a property they're non-residents oh, really? yeah and it's like you know wow. from from there you know here here's a, another um and and they he he's he's killed a really nice deer for that area like a hundred seventy some inch deer just just <laughs> last year <Smoker>. yeah yeah <laughs> really good deer but without that without him reaching out and knowing um. We we wouldn't have known that there's another neighbor just down the creek who's doing some good stuff, who's wanting the same thing, and boom, what 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 is that one next new relationship going to have in store? And I think that that right. that curiosity should fuel people to to pick up the phone. You don't know your neighbor until you call them and figure it out. And I think that there's you there's don't. a lot of um, there's a lot of merit to that. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking, I'm standing outside the window of my den, and um, you've been in my den. I've got a ton of big, nice deer oh, yeah. um, that we've harvested here in southern Missouri. But with that being said, and I used to be a hardcore, still am a hardcore buck hunter, but I had a different mindset mm-hmm. um, a long time ago. And, and I'm not going to get into what that mindset was, but I am going to point this out that those relationships that we have with fellow hunters and fellow neighbors are way more important than the big deer that I have on the wall. They sure. just are. Sure. That used to not be my mindset, yep. but it really is. And I understand there's going to be some of those sour sour neighbors or sour friendships that you have that you know, you'd rather just knock the guy between the eyes, but you're just going to have to deal with it and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and do the best you can with it. I mean, that's all we can do, and that's it. That's it. That's just that's just life in general. Um, but I mean, again, <laughs> we're, we're we're being open and honest with this, and that that is essentially the root and the foundation of cooperatives and the power that they have for working on the behalf, let's say, of not only wildlife, but on the behalf of land as well and the improvements that can be made. So, Seth, I appreciate you coming on and um, and yes, chatting sir, about all you. that. No, you've got a, you've got a great um, story to be able to um, 
to be able to share with everybody because Frank, just frankly, you've done it. You've, you've, you're there, you're operating. Um, and, and again, it doesn't have to be an official capacity, but you're, you're doing these types of things with existing neighbors and seeing the benefit. Um, and, and then too, quite frankly, the, the wildlife is responding in a very positive manner throughout this as well. It, it is a, yes, a great neighborhood. Um, and, and that is a testament to, truthfully just open communication so we tip your hat to you and appreciate your time for coming on well we thank you too matt ready for ready to hang in a tree oh man it's coming <laughs> i'm so jacked up i'm, I'm pumped man. Me, me too buddy good deal well thank you sir thank you see ya. all right guys you're over here uh second part of this podcast talking with uh or listening to chad and i talk Hopefully they're still here, Chad. Hopefully Matt and uh, Seth didn't run them off, but there 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 might be a very good chance of that. They may have shut it off as soon as they heard that it was me and you talking too. So maybe, maybe, maybe they already bugged out and on the other ones, but or maybe they just skipped ahead. Who knows? Yeah, uh, we don't we don't know what the scenario that we're in, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the co-op that we're starting. Um, talk a little bit about how uh how we're going to go about that and the reason um the reason for it as well uh i I guess i ought to jump in and say you know we started a qdma quality deer management association branch for our county um two years ago maybe two years ago three years ago something like that um we started it for the idea that um, we were going to have kind of a localized, uh, grassroots startup branch for the area, um, and, and kind of pull in a whole bunch of, uh, of the, of the county, um, both our home county that, that our, that we grew up in, but also the county that our farm is in. Um, and honestly speaking, it's been a little slow for us just trying to get local, local people involved, um, you know, uh, it seems like every time we schedule a branch, um, it or a, a branch banquet, it it's it, we we raise a good amount of funds, but it's not a ton of people, not nearly the equivalent of or the a good ratio of deer hunters to people showing up. Um, well, we've had <clears throat> we've had other we've got the other other wildlife agencies groups having banquets, trying to schedule them amongst them. There's in our area, there's a couple different, yeah. a couple different groups that that have a pretty big following, and then, not to mention, it's was he, tough for us to find time to, yeah, <laughs> time to, to, to get run it, it on top going. of everything else. But what we noticed was when we held the, uh, we held a uh, a branch or a, a, a field day, I guess, or I guess I'm trying to think of what they they call them workshops, I believe. Yeah, Cutie yeah. calls them workshops, and so we had a uh, workshop, and we had a great attendance there. Ton, a lot of people there, and a lot of interactions. Uh, it was probably the highlight of the branch so far. Um, but and that kind of was a good reminder of maybe banquets uh, for for our location. Just because of what you said, you've got um, nonprofit A, nonprofit B, nonprofit C. Um, all raising funds and doing all this, um, um, doing all these various things, uh, but specifically banquets. So the banquet thing has kind of been ran in our in our in our, uh, in our part of the world where everybody's been to one. 
they all kind of know the gist and the new is over. And so they're kind of well, looking for something it else. Kinda, you know, it kind of runs, it, it kind of runs along the same lines as you think of like a small school, like a very small school athlete. When you have all these different sports, it ends up, it's the same group of people going to every sport. Oh yeah. And these things, it's the same group of people going to every one of those banquets a lot of times. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so we're starting, you know, to go more localized and to get more in the field, this cooperative. Um, working with Hunter National Wildlife Cooperative to launch a um, really get more site-specific, really get into the nitty-gritty. And so for us, fortunately, um, you know, you've listened to Seth and Matt talk about the cooperative that they're doing up there, but... For you and I, we've been in this part of the world our whole lives. Our family farm has been in the farm long before we ever got here, and hopefully it's here long after we're gone um, with our within our uh, our family. And so um, we kind of are right there in the heart of our neighborhood, been there a long time, know most of the neighbors, um, for good or bad. <laughs> yeah. Say that. yeah but it could work in a good way and it could work in a bad way. So that's right. Depending. That's right. Whenever, um, there's, there's, uh, oh goodness. How do I even phrase that? Whenever there's grudges or there's, there's hard feelings, um, from one person to the next. And you're like, how'd this even start? Well, this was three generations ago. Listen, I don't know what was said, what was done, but I don't care. I, tr- I promise. Um, and so uh, we're going to, oddly enough, um, a podcast listener um, wrote us a, uh, an email uh, from states away, but come to find out he, uh, he hunts on a piece of ground. Uh, him and his dad own a piece of ground less than two miles from our family farm. Um, and he wrote us and was uh, l- listening to the podcast and was like, hey, we ought to, you know, I would want to get involved and let's do more stuff in the neighborhood. And at that point, we had started building some really good relationships with some of our neighbors. And we're like, you know what, let's do it. Um, and so we're launching this cooperative. I, I would assume the name will be something to go with the area. Um, we might even call it the Olathe Um the Olathe Cooperative, but um, or the Fairview Cooperative, um, and uh, you know our our big goal once again is just to improve as many acres as possible. Um, and so Chad and I are uh, kind of going to run the grab it by the horns and start trying to get some neighbors on board. Um, but Chad, do you want to take a shot at uh, mentioning some of our main goals with this? I mean, uh, <clears throat> obviously. Like, and you've had, I think you've had, Frank and Kyle have mentioned it multiple times with the quail. I mean, obviously we mentioned quail are one of our big goals on the farm. Yeah. And especially with quail habitat, you don't want to be an island. So obviously that's one of our biggest goals is to improve as big of an area of habitat as we can. And and helping so people understand exactly what quail habitat management is. That's that's yeah. one of the biggest hurdles we face when you can go and have a conversation with somebody in the area um, that that shows some interest in quail or some interest in this or that, and you say, yeah, we're really trying to do this with the quail, and they make something like, well, it's going to be hard if nobody's trapping the coyotes. It's yeah. like, and, that's and, that's and how much this, education we're going to have to get out there because 
we know that coyotes <laughs> are one of the last problems that we should worry about on on trying to increase quail populations. Yeah, and that's I mean that's obviously one of the biggest goals is education. Just yes. trying to help people see what we can do and it's it's one of those that we're trying to show that this kind of work that improving quail and quail habitat is going to improve everything for your turkeys and deer as well. That's right. That's right. And, and one, of the, <laughs> one of the big things we're doing, you know, Kyle and Frank have talked so much on a podcast about um, using grazing as a tool for increasing quail populations. And so that's kind of a big thing for as we transition into more of an ownership role of the family farm and the prairie hollow property, you and I is going to be more of a, this is we're com- we're kind of throwing out the old school mentality and management for cattle. And we're going, this is the new era. This is the way it has to be. If we want to improve our farm um, and be a model for the surrounding neighborhood. And uh, so I, that's what I'm most excited about because frankly, we're going to be kind of uh doing things way out of the norm. Um, but we've been doing things out of the norm from the habitat <laughs> standpoint to where we've, had, we've been we had doing this conversation this morning or this afternoon. We're doing practices that other people think is crazy. And yet we're showing signs. I mean, you can go around and listen to the people in the coffee shops in our hometown and hear that, uh, Turkey populations are terrible Nobody even talks about quail, and we have quail on the farm. Not a lot of them right now, but we're going to get a lot more of them as we start to really, really fine-tune our cattle and um, uh, habitat management um, in various parts of the farm that have been a little bit untouched so far. Um, And then we still have turkeys, and we've got some really, really, really nice deer that I think anybody in the country would say, holy cow, that's a good deer. and yeah. so, you know, at the same time, we got cattle on the farm, which you wouldn't think that wildlife and, co- and cattle are going hand in hand, but we're kind of being a, we're going to throw everything out the window and say, listen, um, our farm's going to make money uh, because of the cattle, um, and we're managing the timber, so that's going to make us some money. But at the same time, we're providing habitat on every, at some, some, pl- some time of the year, each acre will provide food cover something for the wildlife even the pastures uh, by doing more diverse pastures so it's going to be kind of a model our cooperative is really designed to be a model for not only our neighborhood but anybody who's a listener and going okay these guys have figured out how to make money on the farm Um, they figured out how to manage the timber that's still providing income and then yet they still have incredible wildlife numbers yeah I mean, that's, that's the goal. That's the goal for sure. And you hope that it's infectious. You hope that it spreads. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the honest, the the biggest goal is that it can spread far and wide. Yeah. And I, so one of our listeners reached out once that he's less than two miles away, already shot a really nice deer, um, that we'd never even, it's kind of one of those. It was like, how big? Really? I had no idea that there was any that way, that, that direction for the farm. Nobody talks. We're in a we're yeah. in a neighborhood where nobody talks. <clears throat> nobody shares anything unless you have to go and prod. Um, and it's like, hey, did you kill a deer this year? 
Oh, you did. Can you show me a picture? Wow, that's really cool. But most people don't just go out of their way and be like, hey, check out this deer I killed. Have you got any pictures of him? Had you seen him? Because if you had, just know that I've harvested him. So you probably don't want to hunt for him anymore. You're going to be going, where in the world? It was funny the way that worked is in starting this cooperative when, when he told us where he was at. It was like, well, we really don't know the landowners that direction. Yeah. It's like, we know the people all around us, but when you get to your area, we really don't know that many people. So it's like that just extends the reach to where it's just more people connected amongst each other. Yes. So one of the big things that we'll be doing, and I I don't even know what Seth and Matt have planned for theirs. I know what we kind of have planned, but we're going to try to do uh, like a get-together twice a year, a couple times a year at the <laughs> – at the kind of meeting grounds, um, the cemetery that's got kind of a big courtyard area, um, and fry up fish or do something to try to get the locals there to where uh, we can kind of start building and kind of making it more official. Because right now we have a lot of landowners around us that um, we talk to, we have relationships with. It's just like, hey, if you need anything or you see them broke down or whatever, you go and help them and and uh, now it's like, okay, let's make this official and be like, hey, guys, that like we're not telling you you can't shoot a deer that's not four and a half. I think our goals will probably be whatever makes you happy, do it. But know that if you are trying to, you know, one of the big things people make the mistake is I want to shoot, I want to grow giant deer or the biggest deer my farm can hold. Well, that's great, but if you go out and you shoot a fork and horn for meat, yeah, that can kind of hurt you. Um, <laughs> you're better off to shoot does. Or you're, another big thing is, hey, the deer density is too high. We have to shoot does. Fellas, we all have to shoot some does to get this population down, or we won't have the biggest deer we can in the neighborhood. Um, or uh, one of the big things that I think you and I are most excited about is the possibility of using uh, of, of conjoining neighbors and working together to uh, implement prescribed fire. Yeah, that's that's a giant goal. I mean, that has that would be so beneficial to be able. I mean, it's just so much easier to for burn lines. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing is you're, it's safer in the long run. If you have another landowner, a bordering a neighboring landowner that has a road that goes through their place where it connects, you can connect two roads instead of having to go through some little piddly grain to try to use the line, <laughs> try to do a mid slope line. And, and we did that this year. <clears throat> yes. We, uh, we, from a neighbor who doesn't even hunt, but kind of is on board with what we have going on because we are landscape health minded. Uh, I don't know, honestly, if we would get as far in that, um, relationship with him. If, uh, we came at it from a, we want to shoot big deer kind of thing. Um, can we, can we lease your ground for hunting? Like we're doing the burns to try to, uh, to try to, um, stimulate native forage, but also, um, control some of our invasive species, set them back or completely remove them. Um, we're trying to, uh, use it to clean up trails, to maintain trails. Um, cause like on that landowner, he had that road. I, I I wouldn't even begin to guess the last time a four-wheeler went down that road. 
Oh, I don't even know. It's and been a long time. Once, once we finally got approval to, to use that as a fire line, we cut it out for him. And so now you can take a four-wheeler through it. Um, it's rough yeah. as a corn cob, but you can take a four-wheeler through it. <laughs> yeah. And maybe one day it's take the box blade and a bucket on a tractor and we go fix that road so you could drive a truck down it if we need to. Yeah. And that's part of the goal. I mean, that's another goal of, of the cooperatives is if you have a neighbor that has a tractor that can run a no-till drill and you have some you have some other piece of equipment or you have a knowledge base in something else, it's to be able to work together. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the big benefits to having the cooperative is you can you can pool your all the tools that you have amongst all these neighboring landowners and be able to use them to benefit everybody. Yeah. Yep. And that's what a big goal. I mean, uh, I'm really excited about that. Like it could come down to, you know, ordering in seed for everybody. So instead of having um, 10 guys all buying seed and having various drop points or shipping payments, we could just all go together, probably get a cheaper rate on seed, get a cheaper rate on shipping and have it shipped to one centralized location. And then we all go and pick it up from there. That's what a lot of our clients do across the country when they order like Stratton seed is they'll ship it into one place. And then the four or five other landowners will come to that place and take it. And they all split the shipping cost. Or it could be uh, an order of, of blinds. Um, you know, if you're ordering six big blinds versus, or uh, let's just say a truckload versus one or two, you can probably get a cheaper rate on those six. So it's, it's really just building that relationship and getting people yeah. on the same page of, okay, let's, let's, let's rule out the myths. And that'll be some of the first couple of years will be, all right, guys, we're here to help you. We do this for a living. This is uh, our background. This is why we do it this way. Um, let's just get all the hearsay. Let's get all the hearsay out in the open and uh, let's make sure that we can all understand. Oh, you know what? The fire, the the timber stand improvement, or where they're cutting in those, cutting down those trees. That's actually beneficial. It's not going to grow up in brush because they're going to use prescribed fire. Yeah. And so, and it's, let's face it, it's going to be a whole lot more enjoyable if you're all working together rather than fighting against each other. Yeah, it's like I mean, when we run chainsaws and we're on a big project, and it's like, and you're cutting by yourself. It really is terrible. But if you're cutting with multiple guys and you're just bouncing along and you keep looking around, you shut your saw off or whatever, and you can hear somebody else running, and all of a sudden you dr- you drop a tree and uh, you can kind of start seeing. You're like, oh, wow, they're already they're already over there on that. Like, wow, I we're almost tied in together here, and uh, it's a whole lot easier to do it together than do it by yourself. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And and not only that, one big thing too is at the education. So, um, what we're trying to do is use our client base as kind of a startup, a bullseye of the cooperatives, to where we can go back and re- revisit with their neighbors. Now, one of the big things about this industry industry expansion, let's just say, or the growth of the industry, is during the eighties, nineties, and then leading into two thousands is we really got bad about promoting, um, you know, trophy deer, just just trying to shoot the giant deer. And at some point we lost it and where we're like, 
well, if you want to do that, you got to be the only guy hunting that 600 acre piece or whatever. And we kind of got, we got real secretive. We got real competitive and, uh, we really, well, and then you had, you had game cameras come out where people took ownership of deer because they had pictures of them. Yep. Yeah. So then it was even more competitive because yep. a neighbor shot their deer. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been, it's been a bad deal in the, in the hunting industry, honestly, because it's really pitted people against each other. For sure. It's like, it's like if some mastermind set back 30 years ago and says, how do I turn these people against each other? Oh, I'll use pride. That'll be the one. And, uh, <laughs> I'll use this tool, that tool, that technique. And before we know it, 30 years later, we're all like, my dear, my dear, my dear. And, uh, one big thing is just getting that, getting it to, to just know that you're, what your neighbor's goals are. So if you're like, I'm going to pass that deer this year, and you've talked to your neighbor that is also getting pictures of him, he's like, I'm going to pass him too. Then you have a pretty good idea. You know what? There's a good chance that deer might make it to the next year if, if we're both on board with this. Uh, and you start that over acres and acres. Wow. You're, you, you have the ability to really, uh, to really make an impact if if your goal is trophy deer yeah because in the same sense even when it works the other way when you don't talk back and forth and you have the mindset of well if i let that deer go they're going to kill it and they're probably thinking the same thing yeah that deer could that could deer that deer could grow another year older and instead you're both out to shoot it because you think the other person's trying trying to kill it that's right yep for sure and then at the same time um, if you don't have a, an idea of, um, really what, who your neighbor is, like, uh, there might be the possibility that, oh, he's not even a hunter. Maybe I can work with this guy. And, you know, there's a, we have some neighbors that are, are big, just recreational riders. And it's like, you know, maybe there's the chance that we could get hunting rights if they get horse riding rights on our farm or whatever, like where they may come and ride here through, a, make a huge big ride about, and, uh, but we're going to get to hunt that place. Um, yeah. And it's just overall just trying to build a, more of a neighborhood. Instead of being an island and a loner, uh, you kind of just build that build that uh, that neighborhood up. And, and uh, yeah, I think it overall everybody's winning with it because man it just uh especially when you get into more uh species like bobwhite quail or turkeys you're going to need your neighbors doing the things that you're doing or you're really just going to be um (laughs) making a small little scratch on the surface but if you can all work together uh drill rentals seed purchases blind purchases even herbicide purchases if you can figure out a way to get, you know, buying a, a 30 gallon drum of herbicide is cheaper than buying a whole bunch of two and a half gallon tanks or jugs. Um, yeah, or, or for that sense, even just buying a two and a half gallon jug and using it amongst, yeah. if you didn't have a large acreage to spray, yeah. you could buy a two and a half gallon jug rather than like a pint. Yeah. And for us, I know one of the other big things is education on prescribed fire, but also invasive species. And so, you know, a lot of people aren't aware that spotted knapweed is in our area um, or Cerecelespediza. I think by now most people know that it is there, but maybe they don't know what chemical it is. Or we have somebody in our cooperative that has a patch of kudzu 
um, that they've been trying to get rid of for a long time. But we know what herbicide to use. And so um, it's, uh, you know, uh, I'm really excited for it. And uh, I know we're going to be getting it going here this fall. Um, man, a little bit, a little bit of a, a time crunch for me with second baby coming, but we're going to try to get it, get it going. And that way we get, uh, just get some, some neighbors on board and really, really start making an impact. For sure. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's just a little bit of the gist of what Chad and I have going on with our cooperative. I don't even know what in the world Seth and Matt said, what they talked about, but it's probably still along the same lines. Um, <laughs> probably the exact same thing. Yeah, Matt, just, we were just talking, and then I sat down with you, and I'm like, oh, I don't even know what they ended up saying, so then we're going to talk about this. Yeah. So, anyway, Chad, appreciate it coming on. and uh, Hopefully you guys uh, get motivated to uh, to do a little bit of uh, uh, work with your neighbor. If you're looking at... If you're looking at starting a cooperative, which I strongly encourage you to, you can check out National Wildlife Cooperative, or also um, you can send Hunter an email, um, shoot, contact us at info atlantalegacy.tv. Um, any way that we can help you start these cooperatives to where you can work with your neighbors, and man, it, yeah, I think I think everybody is winning in this, and so hopefully you guys are encouraged to do so and uh man it's just gonna be a good time.